In a couple of weeks, we'll be marking one year since the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a global pandemic. And so we want to hear from you. Tell us about something you'll never look at the same way again. For me, Shamita, it's about parenthood. All the advice I got before the pandemic just didn't seem to apply mm. when I was stuck at home with my kids every day. Yeah. Okay. You went big with your example. I have a really small one. I mean, you know that thing where you're out with a friend, you both order something to drink and they say, here, take a sip of mine. I don't think I'll ever look at that the same way again. We want you to weigh in. Send a voice memo to applenewstoday at apple.com. That's applenewstoday at apple.com. And make sure to include your name, where you're from, and try to keep it to under a minute. We may use your voice and story in an upcoming show. And thanks. Good morning. It's Monday, February 22nd. I'm Duarte Geraldino. And I'm Shamita Basu. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. The coronavirus entered the United States just over a year ago. Remember when officials were telling us we'd be facing virtually no COVID-19 cases, let alone deaths? I think we can say it for a lot of countries, for all countries, hopefully. It goes away. It's going away. We want it to go away with very, very few deaths. From very, very few deaths, the predictions just went up and up. Minimal numbers, we're going to be 100,000 people, and we're going to be hopefully far below that. We could get in the range of 100,000 to 200,000 fatalities. You know, we're now at over 250,000 deaths, a quarter of a million deaths. And now, close to a half million people have died in the U.S. from COVID-19. Here's Dr. Anthony Fauci yesterday. It's nothing like we've ever been through in the last 102 years since the 1918 influenza pandemic, people decades from now, Dana, are going to be talking about this as a, as a terribly historic milestone, you know, in the history of this country. Our country has had more deaths from COVID-19 than any other in the world. And we're quickly approaching the death toll from the 1918 flu, which was approximately 675,000 people. This crisis has exposed some of the deepest flaws in our healthcare system. Not to mention what happens when misinformation runs rampant, when there isn't strong faith in our elected officials. Politico's executive healthcare editor, Joanne Keenan, recently wrote about how maybe this is the moment when Americans start thinking about health and healthcare differently. COVID 19 showed us what happens when we focus on diagnostic care over preventative care. Public health experts at the forefront of this crisis tell Keenan now is a time to re-examine our value systems. Public health shouldn't be a government department alone. It should be a long-term strategy. Keenan also argues, while funding from Congress and a strong CDC are important on the federal level, it's ultimately at the state level where public health plans become reality. And this includes hiring enough public health workers, closing the racial gap that exists in healthcare, and here's a critically important one, devoting resources to systems which are needed to collect data that can be used to predict the next crisis rather than just chasing it. And one crisis I keep thinking about is what this reporter describes as a mental health care tsunami. She says states need to prepare for that. And what she's hinting at is the long-term trauma suffered by so many people, even if you didn't get COVID yourself. 
But she says before we can think about reforming anything, we need to reflect on this moment and see it as an opportunity to restore public trust. Trust in science and facts. Trust that our elected officials are telling us the truth. The distribution of the vaccine, if it's done right, could be a first step in turning that corner. The freezing conditions that left millions of Texans without electricity and safe drinking water, they also impacted migrants at the border. One eight-year-old boy from Honduras died trying to cross the Rio Grande with his family. A Venezuelan woman died in the same brutally cold waters. And according to The Guardian, Border Patrol agents detained more than 200 migrants who were suffering from cold-related injuries. Yeah, officials are saying there is a surge of migrants who are trying to get into the United States. And they're coming from Central and South America and the Caribbean. Many of them are fleeing extreme poverty and violence. And for the Biden administration, this will be the first defining moment for him as president on immigration. The Washington Post has some detailed reporting on Biden's immigration plans so far. He's already sending a clear message to migrants at the border. Just because there's a new president, don't expect the U.S. to roll out the welcome mat. That's right. I mean, Biden has made some changes to Trump-era policies already. For one, he is moving to limit ICE's enforcement capabilities. See, under Trump, a lot of the undocumented immigrants who were deported by ICE had minor offenses like DUIs or traffic crimes. Biden's new guidelines are telling ICE agents to focus on people who are felony offenders. But his administration's also trying to make it clear the border is not just open. Under the Biden plan, anyone who recently entered the U.S. illegally will still be a priority for arrest and removal. There are signs the Biden administration is starting to undo a Trump-era policy for asylum seekers. The Remain in Mexico program requires Central American migrants to wait in Mexico for their cases to be heard. And on Friday, the Biden administration started letting in a small number of the 25,000 people who have active Remain in Mexico cases. Biden is trying to walk a thin line here, rolling back Trump-era policies while still stemming illegal immigration at the border. Alan Burson, who was commissioner of Customs and Border Protection under President Obama, tells The Washington Post it's difficult to pull off such conflicting messages. He says, quote, people will hear what they want to hear. To a lot of Democrats, Merrick Garland is the one that got away. He was famously blocked for a Supreme Court seat by Senate Republicans. But today, he's finally getting a confirmation hearing. Not for the Supreme Court, but for the role of attorney general. Here's Garland speaking after the insurrection at the Capitol. As everyone who watched yesterday's events in Washington now understands, if they did not understand before, the rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. Leading the Justice Department is not going to be easy. The Guardian looks at all the challenges that he's going to be inheriting. Under the Trump administration, the department's independence was compromised. Attorney General Bill Barr was willing to intervene in cases to help Trump allies, including Roger Stone and Michael Flynn. 
Yeah, morale is reportedly low at the Justice Department. That's according to Marquette Law Professor Ed Fallone. He points out a lot of people quit during the Trump years, and it's going to be up to Garland to turn things around. You can add to his to-do list overseeing politically sensitive work. Before he left office, Barr appointed a special counsel to examine an investigation that was conducted by FBI agents into possible Trump campaign ties to Russian election meddling. Now, there's also an ongoing investigation into Hunter Biden's taxes. And don't forget domestic extremism is a growing threat. You heard Garland reference this. He's going to be overseeing an investigation into the attack on the Capitol by that pro-Trump mob. But Garland has dealt with big challenges before. I mean, this is a judge with a decades-long career. NPR points out in the early stages of his career, he worked as an advisor in the Justice Department under Jimmy Carter. Now, this was in the years after Watergate, when the department was trying to establish a reputation for itself as being apart from politics. Years later, after the Oklahoma City bombing, Merrick Garland was part of the team that convicted two Americans for their role in the most deadly domestic terror plot in our history. Here's a headline for you. Students are cheating. No. Okay, just kidding. That's like very old news. <laughs> students have been cheating since the beginning of time, writing things on their hand. It's just that students now that they're doing online learning are finding new ways to cheat. And there's this one app that makes it pretty easy to do called Chegg. Forbes explains how it's become a pretty huge moneymaker. Students subscribe to this service, and on its face, Chegg is supposed to be an above-board academic tool designed to help you become a better writer or understand how to put together a bibliography. But there's one part in particular that some college students are using to cheat. It's called Chegg Study. Now, this company has about 70,000 experts in India who can provide answers to any question you have. And often, in just a few minutes, fast enough for someone taking an online test to get those answers in real time. Forbes interviewed dozens of students who use Chegg Study, and almost all of them said that they are using the service to cheat. And a lot of schools are trying to get ahead of this. Some even use a remote proctoring service. This is a thing where schools hire a company that essentially surveils students' web browsers while they're taking an exam. But the students that Forbes spoke with say they know how to get around those proctoring services. Professors and other university officials also told Forbes, trying to prevent cheating is becoming just a losing battle. An official at Texas A&M says... It was obvious hundreds of test answers came from Chegg because they came in faster than it would have taken for students to read the questions. Chegg told Forbes that it knows cheating is a problem and it's working with schools to try and address it. See, the company created a new program where universities can submit exams to the service ahead of time so that the freelancers who work at Chegg know that those questions are off limits. But even with that, the people quoted in this article say as long as students are taking exams online, at home, cheating is going to be pretty hard to crack down on. You can find all these stories and more in the Apple News app. And while you're there, check out some of our audio stories. We'll talk with you again tomorrow. 